It's another edition, the final edition of 2019. Happy New Year's Eve to you. It's the Doyle and Derek podcast here at IndyStar.com and the IndyStar app. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. Afternoons locally, Fox Sports 1260, the better part of Quarian Schultz, 3-7. to seven, But the big star of the show is the one, the only, Greg with two Gs, Doyle, IndyStar sports columnist. How are you, man? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'll be spending it with the Pacers. That's right. I actually kind of like the afternoon home game, love New it. Year's Eve day. Love it. I love day basketball. It's like my favorite thing of all sports things, day basketball, particularly at Hinkle when the windows are open and it's streaming. And even though they do do that at Banker's Life sometimes where they'll open them up. Oh, Banker's Life, it, whether they open it up or not, I, well, I'm not sure what you're talking about there, but I've been on the court before for the for the Crossroads Classic. Yeah. And you see the sun coming into those it's windows neat. on one side. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I don't realize how beautiful that arena is until one Saturday a year. I'm there in the daytime sitting down low. It's shocking that thing is 20 years old. It really is. It looks like it's brand new. I yeah. remember your colleague Dana Benbo did the thing at Victory Field where she actually ate like nachos or something off the floor at Victory Field. And we've got some great venues here in this town where they're maintained immaculately. And Banker's Life is a beautiful one. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit of Pacers. In fact, kind of like last week's episode that we did the day after Christmas, there's really a lot to tackle today. Uh, the Colts didn't do much tackling in the second half against Jacksonville. Yeah. We can start with that. Uh, a thud is how their season ends. And I talked with you about it yesterday on our show, Greg, where you're a weekly guest on Corian Schultz. And I really thought, I never once thought last week that the Colts are going to lose that game. I just didn't. I, Jacksonville, for the last two months, seemingly had quit on the year they had averaged 12 points per game over their previous eight we thought they had fired Doug Marone apparently that they're keeping him for 2020 they just announced that this morning I just I I know that this is a team with flaws and all of that and and that they're imperfect they are very average to mediocre but I was really surprised by how they unraveled in the second half of that game well and it they didn't unravel bless his heart I mean Jacoby had those two fumbles right Mm -hmm. I mean I don't think anything happened in the second half that wasn't happening all game long except for Jacoby's fumbles. And, and it became a game where they would have to dig, dig deep and make a play to win a game to once Jacoby had those two fumbles, it was just what's the final going to be because the game's over. Yeah. And one of the fumbles I don't think was his fault, the, the first one. Maybe and you could argue that any fumble is the guy's fault. But the one, I mean, he was hit hard from behind, blah, blah, blah. But the other one, unforgivable. You just can't do it. And and I, I wrote this the other day that, that Jacoby really, the last four or five weeks of the season, he's done the Colts a favor. He wasn't trying to do them a favor. Nobody wants to see it that way. But can you imagine if he'd played, after kind of exposing who he is middle part of the season, if he had bounced back when the games don't matter, which is kind of when I thought Jacoby would turn it on. Mm-hmm. Well, the games don't matter. He's going to play well. He would have confused the hell out of this thing. But to me, there's no, there's not even a question. Like I think about five, six, seven weeks ago, we've been asking, what do they do at quarterback? Is it yeah. Jacoby? Can you find anybody, and I'm asking you too, can you find anybody – that says Jacoby ought to be the guy? At this point, you got to go digging a little bit deeper than you did five or six weeks ago. Um, I think there still is some feeling that the wide receivers were banged up and his knees bothering more than he's letting on, so let's let this play out a little bit longer. But he just turned 27, four full seasons in the league now. He's got 32 starts under his belt. If there was something special there, we would have seen it by now. True. If they bring him back, they're bringing him back knowing that his ceiling is... He's still a stopgap. Right. His ceiling's not high, so it depends on... And these guys, Ballard and these guys, they have three- and five-year plans, I'm sure. They Mm -hmm. they even know what players are going to be available for the draft in two years and three years, what free agents. They know so much more about everything than I do. Um, Having said that, I, I just can't see a scenario where, in this market, where these fans 
wrongly, but are mad that the Colts, they think, misled them about luck, and that never happened. But that, that, it doesn't matter what, what is real. What matters is what people think. That's the perception. That's the perception. Yeah. I just don't think they can then come back and say, Jacoby's our guy. Hey, re-up your season tickets. I just don't I don't see how you do that. I think the most likely scenario, and I felt this all along, even when Brissett was playing sort of okay, is that they're going to draft somebody. And Brissett might still keep the seat warm for whoever that person that they draft is going to be. But with the way he finished the season, Greg, to your point, now I'm starting to wonder, is Jacoby Brissett the week one starter for this team in 2020? I thought that was like a 98% certainty a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm thinking that's more of a maybe like a 40-60 shot. You know, he had that game, I want to say it was Houston, it might have been the following week, um, where he finally pushed the ball downfield. And we all were like, well, that's that's what's been missing. He he, had, I mean, literally had one game where he did Tampa that. Bay. Was it I Tampa think, Bay? Yeah, where he was okay. throwing downfield. He was throwing downfield like, wow, that's what we need him to do. Mm-hmm. And and since then, he's totally regressed. And you look at his last couple of games, I mean, I swear, we're in the press box, we're talking about this, trying to figure out what his progressions are. And I swear his progressions are, they start with the outlet. They start with Naheem Hines or the running back or Jack Doyle or whoever. And then if those guys aren't open, if he doesn't like what he sees, then he'll look downfield. And by then they're not open. Mm-hmm. And now he's got to you know make magic in the pocket. And he's pretty good at that. The best thing he does, because he holds onto the ball too damn long, the best thing he does is avoid sacks that a lot of quarterbacks would get. And that is a gift. Mm-hmm. It's just not the gift that you want from your quarterback. How is the tone? Because sometimes when you're reading a conversation or you read something on Twitter and you're not in the room – it's hard to kind of gauge, okay, how was this person acting and how was this person acting? Where were they mentally? How would you describe the tone between you and Brissett in some of your back and forth? Has it been combative or has it been kind of one of those things where he's been defensive, you've he knows what your stand is, you know what his stand is, and you guys, I guess, respect that or know where you're coming from? I have no idea what he respects. I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I'll, I can tell you two things about, about that answer. One is... <laughs> Every time I ask Jacoby a question, as soon as he sees it's me asking, he breaks into a smile before the question's even out. Yeah. It's I mean, he's look he's smiling at me like, "Here you come again, MF-er. You know, he's not it's a it's not condescending, but it's more like, "Okay, here we go. Let's lace him up." Um, the other part is he doesn't respond to me in tone or anything else any differently than responds to anybody else. I give him credit on that. He does not he's not petulant with me. He's not pouty. He is what he is with everybody. The difference is, is I'm not like everybody else. Everybody else takes his answers, and they kind of shake their head at it, like okay, and they shut up. I take his answers and come back at him again. And the other day, I asked him. You know, he talks about the trajectory of the team, and I said, "You mentioned the trajectory. You like it. What do you think of your trajectory?" And he said, "Oh, it's through the roof, or something like that." And then he, and and I I raised my eyebrows at him or something, and he goes, "Oh yeah, it is." And then he looked at me and said, "What do you think?" Like he doesn't ask anybody else that. I don't know why he's asking me. And I first thing out of my head was, Jacoby, do you really want to know? And then he smiles and goes, Nah, I don't care. And then he walks off. But he'd already told us he doesn't care what anybody thinks. I mean, like literally five minutes earlier, he'd been asking about criticism, and it's one of those kind of ways you ask a quarterback under fire without attacking him. You, you know, everybody else is attacking you. What do you think? And he said, I, I know it's out there. Well, he assumes it's out there, but he doesn't listen. He goes, I don't care what they think. So for him then to ask me, What do you think? was weird and then he fell back on i don't care so anyway he's he is what he is with everybody 
the difference between Jacoby and me and Jacoby and everybody else is not Jacoby, but it's me. Yeah, because I'm cool with him doing that, and I like the fact that players now in 2020 or about to be 2020 aren't afraid to shoot down dumb questions. I've got no problem with people shooting down dumb questions, and but, I've asked my share. Yeah, but you know, early in the year, you mentioned the Houston game. I remember Charlie Clifford over at Wish Eight, who does a good job over there in the sports department. He asked Brissett, and I'm paraphrasing here. Hey, you were great against Houston the first time around. What happened? Did they change up a look? Or a perfectly legitimate question, yeah. right? And he said something like, "Oh, yeah, well, they were wearing red. Yeah, they look different. They were different jerseys." And I thought to myself, "Look, man, that's a legit question. I don't think that's worth brushing off. And if you're Pat Mahomes, if you're Bill Belichick, you can brush off questions. We're not even sure you're a starting quarterback in this league. Yeah, so we're not I'm, sure you're Brian yeah, Hoyer. I'm not sure that." you're in the position to just kind of brush that away. Players can do what they want and all of that, and I don't feel entitled to an answer. Um, I do think they owe it to us to be honest. I, I, I think they owe it to us to not lie, but what they choose to divulge is up to them. But I, I just had a real problem with how he handled that specific question. Well, one more thing to his credit is he has been the exact same way all year. When he was when the Colts were 5-2 and two and his quarterback rating or pass rating was 99, and there were people around here – talking about him as a low-key MVP candidate and you know it wasn't it didn't gain much much uh, momentum but that was actually out there he was the same way then that he is now he just doesn't really like talking to the media he doesn't like dumb questions doesn't like questions that's just who he is um and I personally and I'm not like most people I guess I love it when a guy comes back at me I mean I love it because I mean if you read me that's in my story if you're coming back at me I'm going to come back at you, and I'm going to write about this. And not because, hey, everybody, look at how tough I am, or, hey, everybody, look how mean he is. It's more, you guys, you readers, you're not in the locker room with us. You see everything on TV. You have access to the stats we have. You you know everything we know. Hell, you might know more than I know. Yeah. But you don't know this. So if you want to know who these people are, here's how it is. So I like it when Vinatieri comes back at me. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I just like it. It was I an think- emotional Ebron. It was an emotional locker room this year because there was a lot to kind of dig and – Pry at and uh, and I don't blame you for doing it. I'm glad that you did it. And, yeah, so and, who, and other media doing that as well. well. Okay, so the, the the biggest dust ups that I can recall that, that I was a part of anyway, Vinny, when he wanted to know well, what you know, you you watch the games and, and you tell me what you think. And I said, all, all I know is the ball's not all I see is the ball's go, not going through the uprights. And he goes, Yeah, me neither. There was me and Vinny. There was me and Ebron. There was me. There was me and Jacoby a few times. Can you think of any other ones? From this year? Yeah, and I don't mean me. I mean with anybody. No. Uh, and I'm well, not saying it never happened. I'm just, I'm just wondering, what, what were the other dust-ups? Because I'm not there all the time. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I know that Brissett shot down a couple of questions. I don't remember specifically. It was it was in the, like those gangbang interviews, you know what I mean, where there's a whole group of people. Yeah, but has anybody it. actually come but back at anybody? I, I don't think so. Because right. I think you're right that most people, you ask the question – they either give you the answer or you don't, and you accept it and, and move on. And this um, is not me saying, if any, of you, if any of you folks are listening, any other beat writers, this is not me saying, well, I'm tougher than them. It's, it, there's a different way to do it. And everybody writes with some toughness. I see it. Mm-hmm. So it's not about people who are afraid to do this or that. It's just Some of us kind of really – well, look, there's not very many people in the world that really like to go box people and get punched in the face. I mean, there just aren't. Mm-hmm. And I, but I'm in that small group. I like it. I don't know why. I might be, not be very smart, but – I like the I, – because I get to punch you back, right? Mm-hmm. That's I'll take a punch if that means I get to hit you. So I like the sparring verbally or otherwise, and I think most people just don't most like Most people way. don't like confrontation, right. I think is really what it is. And and it's a group setting, so it's a little nerve-wracking when you're having that back and forth and awkward and all, and all of that. The confrontations, by the way, I've had over the years with people, 
my kids bus drivers uh teachers <laughs> um i mean i i am i mean a lot of people i it's in fact it's one of the things i've had to work on and i've gotten a lot better at it is i used to and i still do a little bit go around looking for it i mean i've challenged i've i've challenged a handful of people in this market media people not gonna name names but i've told them to meet me you know behind the kroger at midnight if you want to talk about this more like, oh really wow. oh oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i I'm very confrontational. I'm not one of those people. For those of you listening, no, you're not. You're not. But there, there's. I can not yet at least at least two. I've invited at least two people to come see me, um, and it hadn't happened yet. Obviously, I, and I don't know why that is. I don't know what's wrong with no. me. So I, I, I'm working at trying to get better at that. Wow. So this this went down a road that I wasn't quite expecting, but I, I like that. I like. I kind of like that about you because it does come out in your writing and it does give you a peek behind the curtain because when you're having that back and forth, suddenly the defense shields go down and you get something that's real from those athletes, right? right. Where they're not they're not guarded and, and they're coming after you and, and you're coming after them and the whole deal. So I, I kind of like that. Um, let's get into something that happened yesterday that completely came out of left field and god greg if, if anthony costanzo decides to retire he's allowed to do whatever he wants to do and it's his life but what a disaster that would be for this team moving forward because then not only are you going to probably have to replace your quarterback you also have to replace arguably your second most important position and that's starting left tackle yeah i wonder obviously yes you have to replace him i wonder if Braden smith slides over to left tackle and then if 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 Glowinski becomes your right tackle, he's very versatile. I'm, I'm sorry, Haig becomes your right tackle, or Haig and Glowinski battle it out to see mm-hmm. who's tackle and guard on that side. I don't know. They're, they they have some options, but that is stunning. And I got some people asking me this, and so I feel like whenever you get a few questions like this, it doesn't mean there's a few people that wonder. It means there's probably a lot of people that wonder, but not everybody bothers to ask the question. Uh, so a few people asking me, you know, Andrew Luck quit with plenty of years left. If Costanzo quits too, that's two in this locker room. Does that say something about the Colts? And the answer to that is no. I mean, of course it doesn't. It, it says nothing about the Colts because in Costanzo's case specifically, he can be a free agent. If he doesn't like this locker room, he can go somewhere else. Yeah. The the Colts haven't squeezed the joy out of luck. I mean, injuries did. And if Costanzo wants to step down, we are seeing almost once a year, we're seeing a player make that decision almost once a year now in the last five, ten years because they make so damn much money and there is so much threat of injury. And those guys, you know, the thing about offensive linemen – that what's so dangerous for them is that they almost never get knocked out cold. Um, but they suffer so many mini concussive hits all game long that don't really register. It's kind of like it's one reason why people say UFC is safer than boxing. Doesn't make sense on the surface, but you get in the UFC, you get hit once, once hard, the fight's probably over. Yeah. In boxing, you get hit for 12 rounds and you never get knocked out. How many times have guys died after a fight where they weren't even knocked out? They just kind of collapse in their corner. I mean, it's all those little bitty shots you take. And I'm not saying offensive linemen are going to start dying on us. I'm just saying, Casanzo, he's a smart guy. He knows that with, even without concussions, his his brain's taken a beating. And he's been there nine years, made $80 million. I mean, he, of course you got to think about not coming back. And he sees – him and Luck have always been really close. Right. Uh, they came in almost exactly you – know, Casanzo was 11, Luck was 12, so they played together that throughout that time. And Casanzo was always the, the constant on that offensive line. And I wonder how much he looks at what luck has got going on in his personal life and says, you know what, that's that's not such a bad deal that he has right now. I have more money than I'm ever going to be able to spend. Maybe I do want to walk. I think he'll be back, but just the fact that he floated that out there, I thought, oh, God, please don't let this – From selfishly, from a, a fan standpoint, please don't let this happen. You know, I now it's occurring to me that, that you're right, that he and luck are close. And I, to me, 
and there's been Lord knows there's been nothing concrete about Andrew Luck coming back again. I mean, we just all kind of assume he's not. And, mm-hmm. and Jim Mercy said, no, I don't think he is either. No one knows anything at all. There's been no clues really aside from the fact they hadn't come back. This from Costanzo makes me wonder. He, I mean, surely he talks to Luck. If there's any sign that Luck's not coming back, this is it. AC's like, I, I might re- retire. Well, you don't say that if you think Luck's coming back in a year or two. You yeah. don't say that. I don't think so. Yeah, it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, other things going on with the team just in general and, and kind of where we are as we get into the offseason. We'll talk plenty more about what they're going to do in free agency. I'm going to save that for later. Uh, but just kind of adding up to where we are now, the, con- the conclusion of year two for Reich, the conclusion of year three for Ballard, how much blame do you give, specifically Ballard, because I still think it's pretty early in Frank Reich's tenure, um, how much heat should Ballard get for things going south this year and for the first three years being kind of, sort of okay? But I think the the Colts showing some serious flaws roster-wise here in 2019 that I'm, I'm not sure we were fully cognizant of going into the season. I think heat's probably the wrong word that, that I would say about, about Ballard. What I would say is that last year – after last year when they went 11-5, whatever they went in you know, playoffs, it seemed to me that last year the Colts might might have, if not the best combination of coach-GM in the league, certainly a rising star combination of coach and GM, and certainly on the short list of here's the best two. Yeah, There might be better coaches, there might be better GMs, I'm not sure how many franchises have a better at each spot. Well, after this one year, you, that's off the table now. I, I, you, know, I, you can't say that with a straight face. So I don't, I don't know about Heat. Uh, but I think the honeymoon clearly ended this year because he was on a honeymoon for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first year was a, a wash with with luck out. Last year was awesome. Bowers was on a honeymoon for two years. The honeymoon's over. So I think year four is when maybe we start. A, if they don't turn it around, year four you might wonder about heat. Um, Reich is too soon for heat. Uh, but you, you know, Vinatieri, they this team this season. If Chase McLaughlin. Is on this is the kicker from week from week three or four when it became obvious that something's wrong with Vinny. They might be in the playoffs right now. Yeah. They might be. So that's that's off, it's obviously on Ballard and Reich for not making the move. At the same time, that's kind of how small the margin is. You know what I think is the worst argument in sports, Greg, is when people say, "Well, who are you going to get that's better?" Ugh. If you have somebody that can't get the job done, like Vinatieri clearly could not get the job done, you got to move on. I mean, who are you going to get that's better is how you end up with Chuck Pagano for six years. Right, right. And I just think that that was – and Reich defended it. I, I was – Frank Reich's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to be loyal to his guys, so I understood that. And I probably shouldn't have thought otherwise. I was actually kind of disappointed that he dug his heels in on the decision to stay with Vinatieri yesterday during his – uh, media availability because I just think that that by far was the biggest mistake of the season. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, their, their insistence on on sticking with him. Yes, yes, absolutely. That I mean, in hindsight, I mean, in real time, a lot of people wanted him to be gone. But in hindsight, you look back and say that's that's where the season went south mm-hmm. is when they didn't make that change. Frank will always, in a different way than Chuck. Chuck, to me, Chuck did it his you know pro player stuff in a kind of a almost a brainless way. Like it was almost a default setting. And he wasn't even going to be bothered to care about the details. He's just going to stick by his players. Frank strikes me as a more intellectual and yet constant, always going to defend the players. It just, it just, I don't know. I, I can respect his a little bit more than I can respect Chuck's. And I think in part, it's hard to respect the Vinatieri thing. But I think Frank is also thinking, he, he treats the locker room like a lot of Major League Baseball managers treat their locker room, a clubhouse, is a is a. I want these guys to play hard for me. I'm taking their temperature at all times, and I want them to know that I've got their back and we're all in this together. And so I think even if he 
he may have lied yesterday. In other words, I, I, I bet he was lying a little bit, that he should have bailed on Vinatieri, but he's not going to say that because he wants his locker room to know, I defend you to the end. Yeah, and I hope he was lying because I, I don't think anybody with a straight face can really say that was the right decision to stick with him. Uh, let's move on to basketball. Pacers playing this afternoon, so I don't want to make this too dated by the time, you know, people might be, not get to this podcast until tomorrow morning and the, the Philly Pacers game is already going final, but we'll get one last East test for the Pacers as they head into this game. Uh, hit a little bit of a skid here, really a game they should have won in Miami and just let it get away in the final seconds. And then the New Orleans was a – every once in a while in the NBA, I think you have a schedule loss, and yes. the New Orleans game was a schedule loss yes. for the most Same part. Same game back-to-back. Yeah, back. and, and you, you expended all that energy in that heat game, which was a really difficult game. But still feeling good about where the Pacers are as they trend into 2020? Uh, I feel great about where they are. Granted, they've, they've lost two in a row, so – but how can how can you not look at their record, even with those two losses, and say, "Holy cow! What are, what are they mm-hmm. doing without Victor Oladipo? How is this happening?" And you you almost wonder, you almost wonder with, when Oladipo does come back, and apparently it'll be in about a month or so, um, what effect does that have? Surely, obviously, the talent just got better by adding him. But this team is all about chemistry and rotations and this and that and the other, and all, Vic's going to change it all. And I'm not saying for a second. At, at all that don't, don't bring him back don't mess with this no 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 I just but you have to wonder will it be entirely positive and and my guess is the first month they might regress a little bit with Vic just as everybody's learning you know like the Miami Heat they won those NBA titles but when the super team came together they were like five and six that first year mm-hmm. it takes a while to figure everybody out Vic hadn't played with almost any of these guys yeah so right. it, the first month might be a little bit difficult, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 big time pro Pacers on what ha- is happening this year. I'm thrilled with their growth too. We've seen obviously Domas Sabonis really ascend into what is likely going to be an All Star season for him. But how about Aaron Holiday? Yeah, terrific. And and the Pacers just gushed and gushed and gushed about him. Remember at the beginning of the year he wasn't even in the rotation, and we're like, really? T.J. McConnell's past this dude? <laughs> What's up with Aaron Holiday? And now he's really really shown. I think what the Pacers have been confident in, in that he was going to show all along what i see from holiday is a guy that at some point in the season and it's not been that long in the last month or so must have had a game and i want to talk to him about this after the game today maybe if i can but he's a guy who about a month ago figured out decided that he really does belong at a high level mm-hmm. because now that's just what he does he's just going out and, and putting up 20 points and seven or eight assists that's just who he is right now i don't know if he can you know average 20 and seven for his for the season but He's made a decision that I do belong here, and we're seeing him attack. And maybe he wasn't attacking in the first part of the season. He wasn't quite sure. I don't know. But I get it. When they were gushing about him and we're not going to trade Aaron Holiday, man, oh, man, do I see it. I mean, he's he looks like their starting point guard someday for about five, ten years. Yeah, no question. And I know that they've got Brogdon locked in right now. But even if even if Holiday is your backup to, uh, one, then you're in really good shape. Well, I mean, have, he's, have he's three. Really good. Have a yeah. three-guard lineup. Like, you uh, could do yeah, that. Yep. I'm not saying he's better than Brogdon at all, but just – Brogdon, Old Depot, and, and Holiday. I mean, assuming you can work out the defensive end, why not? I love looking all these games. Miami, Philly, Boston. That's really kind of the measuring stick for where the Pacers are. And I, I think for the most part, you know, beating the Lakers, I know they didn't have Anthony Davis, but beating Boston, um, competing the way that they did with Miami, who hasn't who has, I think, one loss at home all year. Yeah. Philly to me is the the matchup nightmare for them because Embiid eats Sabonis and Turner's lunch every time that they play and he's an impossible guy to guard and they're just from a talent standpoint Milwaukee's the best team in the East probably but from a talent standpoint overall I think Philly is the best the most loaded roster oh yeah Milwaukee's got the best player in the NBA mm-hmm. the most unst- you can't stop him Philadelphia though has one through seven the best one through seven probably 
Um, I, I'll be really curious to see this game, to what happens with Sabonis on Embiid, because normally, obviously, Miles Turner has been the starting five. This year, it's different. I want to see Sabonis in person handle Embiid the whole time, and maybe Miles comes over and guards the rim every now and then if he can get away from the four, whoever the four is for them. But I would really like to see Sabonis muscling, because Embiid's just too damn big and strong for everybody else. And Sabonis only weighs 240, but he plays like he weighs 280. No, he, he does. plays yeah, you're so right. heavy, and and when it with Embiid, he just kind of throws everyone around like a rag doll. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just that that's how he is. Um, moving to college basketball as well, we we kind of talked briefly about this on our show yesterday. Uh, Indiana coming off a loss to Arkansas, they're heading back into Big Ten play. I think they're at Maryland coming up on Saturday, and assessing Archie Miller now that we're about two and a half years in, so about halfway through year three, and you said that things are going a lot more slowly than you thought because you were on board with the hire originally, right? Oh, I called it a grand slam yeah. walk-off home run, and it's not been that yet. I will tell you that the Arkansas loss, and yeah, it's, it's very recent, so I'm remembering it, but that's about as bad a job of in-game coaching as I've seen from, from Miller, just from this one standpoint. Trace Jackson Davis dominated the first half, dominated it, and barely saw the ball in the second half, barely saw it. And the game got away from the Hoosiers, and they lost. So there was there was real time ramifications for him not getting the ball, and he still didn't get the ball. And I'm just thinking to myself that for for 20 minutes in the second half, as as the game's getting away from you, and your star in the first half isn't touching the ball, at what point do you call timeout and tell the guys on the team, "Hey guys, throw the ball to Trace, or you're going to sit on the bench next to me." Mm-hmm. Like like make it that real. He never. I mean, if he did that, it didn't work. So to me, that was it's almost like he didn't notice because that would. I mean, a better and he's a good coach, but a better coach in that moment would have made it clear Trace is going to get the ball the next 10 times down the court or you're all benched. We'll, yeah. go, we'll go one on five if we have to, but not one of you is going to play without getting in the ball, but it never happened. And I'm fine with the roster overall, but I think that one of Indiana's problems is that Trace Jackson Davis at this point is easily a B player and he's probably going to be an A player by the end of the year, but he's surrounded by veteran players who are C-plus players. Like Devontae Green, Al Durham, Justin Smith – those guys are all fine, whatever. Uh, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. It all comes out in the wash, right? They're they're very, I think, slightly above average college basketball players. And you get into this hero ball stuff where Green's hucking up contested three pointers, and and you get you get tight in late in games, and and that's I think when you get away from getting it to the guy that has been your best player this year. Um, I still think they're going to be fine. I, I just think that they were due to lose a game like that. They were lucky to escape with the win against Notre Dame and UConn. Um, eventually, you flip the coin enough in those Colts, uh, those close games, eventually it's going to flip tails. I think we saw that with the Colts this year after what they did in the first half compared to the second half. To be lucky to beat Notre Dame, to be lucky to beat UConn, is a, a damning statement about your program right now. And, and yeah, they, you're not wrong. And they are that they are a meh kind of roster for the most part. Trace is special. Um, I'm higher in Devontae Green than you are. I think he's special. I just think he's out of control. But he's he's a pro. I don't know that he's got just just like uh, um, oh gosh, who is that six foot seven wing they had? Troy Williams. Yeah, just like Troy yeah. Williams. I don't know if he's got the maturity, the the control, the focus to be a pro. But he's got pro skill. Devontae Green has pro skill. Uh, other than that, they've got a bunch of guys. Their their roster is kind of meh. And so this is not a deal where. There's there's a Final Four run in this team, but Archie's got to figure it out. There's not. There's not a Final Four run in this team. This team is a number 10 or 11 seed in the tournament or an NIT team. They are a bubble team. That's what they are. That's what the roster is. 
And, and Archie's got to make it better going forward. You're right. Uh, a different 10 or 11, depending on which poll you look at, is Butler. They're ranked 10th in the coaches' poll and 11th in the AP. If you went outside on the circle right now, which isn't too far away from where we're sitting right now at the Indy Star headquarters, and asked 100 people down at the circle, would they have any idea that Butler's a top-10 team? I, uh, or how many would know? <laughs> right. Which it wasn't supposed to happen. It's not supposed yeah. to happen. You, Their roster is no better than I use. I mean, it's right. I mean, it can't be. If if you, if we we could do it some other time. But if you were to go one through seven, this guy versus that guy, this guy versus that guy, there's yeah, no I, way. I don't think there's that big of a, a gap. No, uh, not yeah. at all. And yet, IU. I'm sorry, Butler plays. They always play defense. They always play hard. They bring it. And if if a couple guys have a good offensive game, they're going to beat you 64 to 59. That's mm-hmm. what they do. They are. We are seeing Laval Jordan. We're seeing what he is, and what he is very good. You know, I wasn't sure until this year. I just wasn't. I mean, nobody. You couldn't be sure. No, what he is. Uh, I'm sure now he is the real deal. He's the real deal, and they're in great hands. And it's kind of on Archie to show that he's the real deal at IU because we just don't know that yet. It's, I'm not writing him off at all, but you don't know. Laval, we're starting to know. Archie, we don't know. Best thing about Butler is that they're surviving the games when Kamar Baldwin. Is off, which is every game lately. Yeah, uh, at least offensively. I mean, Baldwin's so good that he contributes regardless of whether he's shooting well or not. He, yeah. he he's just a winning player. But McDermott, um, Bryce Golden's been huge for them as an addition. Jordan Tucker, I think we've seen some growth from. I wasn't really sure about where his head was at last year at all times. Um, it's a good roster. It's a good team, and I'm I'm pleasantly I'm a season ticket holder, so I'm <laughs> very pleasantly surprised by what they've done. Uh, so far, the Big East is going to be a much tougher grind than it was last year, though, because it looks like a really good, looks like a much much better league than yeah, last year. And I, and I guess in theory, Butler could could slump in the Big East, mm-hmm. but their non conference schedule has been about as impressive as anybody's. Just about as impressive as anybody. Certainly the best one in the state. Yeah. But 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 I mean, like, there's a reason why in in the Ken Palm standings and in, in the NCAA NET whatever they call that. I mean, they're like a. They're underrated as a number 10 or 11 team in the country in the polls because the analytics think they're the top five team because their schedule's that good. Mm-hmm. Your strength of schedule's that good, and, and they haven't lost anybody but one team. So they're, and you didn't mention, you didn't mention Aaron Thompson. Um, I mean, he's, he's a special player for a guy who scores seven a game. He's a typical Butler point guard. Yeah. He's Barlow, Norad, whatever. He's, a, he's one of those guys. Like he, he doesn't. Norad's a great example because if I remember right, Norad couldn't shoot either. Right? right, he wasn't a shooter at all, but he but, was a, a tenacious defender and a leader. Yeah, and a leader, right? And it just Butler's one of those uh, intangible teams that it's kind of hard to figure out. I don't, I'm not, you know, I've been in a lot of games and I don't know why they're so good. I, I don't know. I just know that they are, and I believe it. I just couldn't tell you why. Uh, as we approach New Year's Eve here, um, and you've been here for the last half of the decade, give or take a couple of months. I think you came fall of 2014, right? Yes. So five and a half years or so. Um, Let's only use those five and a half years because you weren't here 2010, 2011, Butler's back-to-back Final Four runs, Manning getting cut, the Super Bowl being here, all of that jazz. Um, what was the biggest sports story that you think you covered? Tyler Trent. Okay, wait. I mean, Andrew Luck retiring literally in the middle of a preseason game. It, get, yeah. it gets no bigger than that. But that was a one-time bolt of lightning. And yes, we all wrote about it for about a week or two afterwards. But that was, I mean, that was crazy. And I knew in, in real time, like, I felt pressure. I'm, this is the biggest story I'm going to write. On deadline, oh no! But Tyler, um, and we're still—I'm still writing about him, and he's still important, and he's—he's he's, you know cancer, cancer won the battle with Tyler Trent. But uh, I mean, five years from now, I really think he might win the war. I mean, he's just so I nothing to me. I will never see somebody like that again. 
I will never write about somebody like that again. And I wrote about Pagano, but this is different. I'll just there's gosh, I don't I don't want to compare Chuck. Like I don't I'm sorry. I don't mean to imply that Chuck's not a special he he's special too, but there's just some there's levels of unique that Tyler Trent has that we'll never see again. Yeah, certainly when you talk about top story like newsworthy, that's one answer. Top story most meaningful, most emotional is most impactful is a different answer. The night and Tyler Tr- Trent died a year ago tomorrow. Yeah. New Year's Day. 2019 the night he died he was trending on twitter internationally that's uh i mean that's that's stupid in a great way that's that's impossible that's how big he became that's how important he became to people so we'll never see that again yeah it's amazing how that story really the cat was let out of the bag that unbelievable night where they just completely stomped ohio state and college game day did the feature but I remember I had a friend that was a Purdue grad, and she told me in the spring of that year, hey, there's this kid that's writing for the Purdue Exponent, and he's really into sports, and um, he's had several battles with cancer. Right now, he's I think Tyler was in remission at that point, and he goes, his name's Tyler Trent, and he's actually at the Garden, and he's covering the games. Do you want to get him on the show? And I was like, yeah, sure, That's you know, it's actually a, a cool story. And we talked a little bit of basketball or whatever, and then he talked about his personal battle and we kept in touch a little bit after that, but um, you know, even in, in the months leading up to that, that was still very much an, an Indiana story, and then it became a United States story, and then it became a global story. So it's very rare that here in our little corner of the, the world, here in Indianapolis, that something becomes what that story became and what that inspiration became. I don't know that people know this. Uh, I've, I've never said it, I've never written it, and I've never heard anybody else say this, but... I mean, this part I've written. Kevin Pritchard bought him an an iPad Pro because Tyler couldn't he couldn't use his hands. He couldn't he he wanted to text. He needed that. He, he the stylus. I think he mm-hmm. needed that. So people might know that one. Here's what they don't know: Kevin Pritchard then put him to work. Tyler's last few weeks on this earth, last few months, Pritchard said, "I want you to study the you know the draft prospects in college, and I want I want reports on these guys." Tyler was paying attention to college basketball for the Pacers trying to get their trying to pitch in and you know I don't know how much Kevin was doing that just to give Tyler a smile how much he respected Tyler's analytics because the guy was brilliant I don't know all the motivation behind it's probably a combination of all that but so I don't know if anybody knows that but maybe now if you're listening you do that Tyler went down he 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 died watching college basketball for the Pacers that's pretty cool yeah Kevin Pritchard's a great guy yes Great yes. guy doing a great job, and yes. we need to. I think we need to spend more time on how great of a job he's done. Yes, because he was not inherited in good situation, and and the Pacers have he's done really well. Um, much lighter topic, just as we kind of exit stage left here. Any New Year's resolutions? Are you a New Year's resolution guy? No, I'm not. Uh, and, and because, and this is probably why life is so hard for me sometimes, is uh, I don't let anything slip to the level that I need to make a resolution so I can stop doing that. I. I'm too hard on myself year round to ever get to the point where I need a resolution, right? I, I try to, I'm a perfectionist and it's not a great thing. I believe me, that is not my way of bragging. That's my way of saying I, I am so uptight that I can't, I never, I could never have a resolution because that would imply that I've let something slip for a year and I don't let stuff slip, which is a hard way to live. How about you? Um, I always say that I want to read more. I just don't give myself time for that. Everything else kind of gets in the way. Um, I'm almost done with a book on Lyndon Johnson, 
who I've always I've always been fascinated by the period. My parents were high school class of '69, and I've always been fascinated by that period in American history because you had the moon stuff and then Vietnam, and um, it was the first time people were really not trusting the government anymore. And um, I'm I'm fascinated by war history in general, but particularly American war history. And, and Lyndon Johnson with the civil rights and and Vietnam, he's such this interesting guy because he's this big, terrible, blowhard, miserable person who made other people miserable. But then again, he had a very soft spot for the poor and for minorities and did a lot to further JFK's legacy because that was important to him after JFK was assassinated. And I'm almost done with that book and then I'm going to move on to something else. But um, maybe that's, you'd read that's more. I really need to do. Maybe you'd read more if you'd stop reading boring nonfiction. <laughs> that's what I like, though. Like, I, I'm I don't an, think you do. I, I don't think you do because I, you're not reading very much. <laughs> I'm just a very slow reader. Like, I'll read five pages and then I'll stop. Like, my, my wife will sit down. You could hand her a book and she'll read it in three nights. If you give me some food. No, I can't do that. If you give me a lot of food and I stop eating it and then don't come back to it in three weeks, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you. But that's the kind of food I really like. No, yeah. the food I really like, I do a lot. If I really like to read, I read a lot. I don't think you like to read nonfiction. I, I, I think you like the idea of nonfiction. I like the idea of trying to be more learned. So that's what I try to do with the nonfiction. Not the 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 the, uh, the factual stuff. Like I said, the history. I want to actually learn stuff as opposed to just reading. I don't know, like a novel or something like that. So we'll see. We'll check in on that in a couple of months and see where I am as far as New Year's resolutions goes. Happy New Year to all of you. Wishing you all a safe and prosperous 2020. And Greg, we'll be back next week, buddy. Yeah, and and the podcast is growing in popularity like a lot and so y'all are listening thank you so much happy new year uh latest uh, jacoby Brissett, probably something on the pacers tonight as well right Absolutely. after the sixers game so stay tuned for that and uh, a great digital deal right now indie star app uh 29 for the year which is just crazy absurd like yeah uh, we're gonna people are gonna get laid off because folks are gonna actually take that deal but go ahead and take that deal because we want people to read so for some reason your subscription's ending or you want to tell a friend who's not a subscriber please subscribe uh and you're not only access to this podcast and greg's work but all the great journalists here at the indie star happy new year you guys we'll see you next week